Welcome to Veteran Voices, a podcast dedicated to giving a voice to those that have served in the United States Armed Forces. On this series, jointly presented by Supply Chain Now and Vets2 Industry, we sit down with a wide variety of veterans and veteran advocates to gain their insights, perspective, and stories from serving. We talk with many individuals about their challenging transition from active duty to the private sector, and we discuss some of the most vital issues facing veterans today. Join us for this episode of Veteran Voices. Hey, good afternoon, Scott Luton with Veteran Voices. Uh, Thanks for joining us here today for today's episode. Uh, We are interviewing, we've got an outstanding conversation, T-Dot. We're interviewing a U.S. Army veteran that's gone and doing some big things in the business community, including especially global supply chain. So stay tuned for what's going to be an exceptional conversation. Quick programming note before we get started here today. This program is part of the Supply Chain Now family of programming. You can find Veteran Voices anywhere you get your podcast, just search. You can subscribe for free so you don't miss great conversations just like this. And our show is conducted in a partnership with an outstanding nonprofit called Vets2 Industry. They're helping a lot of vets get connected with proven vetted resources uh, via their nonprofit program. And you can learn more at vets, the numeral two, industry.com. All right, with no further ado, want to bring in our featured guest here today, Adebayo Adilike. Good afternoon, Adebayo. How are you doing? Good afternoon, Scott. I'm well. I'm well. I'm ready for the end of the year party to get started and uh, <laughs> ready to rock and roll. Hey, I'm with you. Uh, and, and I've got to admit, I've been stalking you for quite some time. I think I've really enjoyed your thought leadership in supply chain and business and leadership. And I want to say we connected probably six, eight, 12 months ago, and we talked yeah. about doing an interview. And shame on me, I'm, I'm sure, because I didn't follow up. So shame on me. But it's great to finally make the connection and, and have you here and, and able to share your, your POV with our audience. Thank you so much, Scott. I know, yes, that is correct, but you know, and then COVID happened. And, and I right. know there's so much, a lot of people are doing so much to kind of help arrest the situation to the best of their ability. So I completely understand. So again, we are here. So and that's what really matters. So thank you so much. You bet. We're going to make the most of this time. And, and you're right. The pandemic has certainly thrown every industry for a big loop, especially the one where you spend most of your time helping others. And that's supply chain. We're going to touch on that here in a little bit. So for starters, though, let's get to know Adebayo a little bit better. So tell us where you're from and, and give us an anecdote or two about your upbringing. So if you know uh, for people that have been in the U.S. a lot or very, that interfaces with immigrants a lot, you will know the name as uh, you know African origin. I am from, I was born and raised in Nigeria. So I, I migrated here about 20, 24 years ago. Mm. I think it's been a while, migrated about 24 years ago, came from southwestern part of Nigeria. And, um, you know, I was just finishing, I was first year, after I finished my first year of college, so you know what, uh, I joined my parents over here. And, um, you know, since then, I've made America my home, joined the military and did great things. You know, I was pretty much during the whole global war on terror. Mm-hmm. I was, the whole thing started and by the thing, thing was what I think is still going on, but they kind of rebranded it in a different name. Right. But for the most part, I spent all my adult life in the military, and I, I've been. It, I really enjoyed it. I really enjoyed my time. But it's always the time, you know. Is either the army pathway with you, or you pathway with the army? Either way, one is going to come uh, along the line. So I, I, I believe uh, I wanted it to be on my own terms, and I really do because I have other things I really wanted to do, which is what I'm currently doing right now. I'm very right. passionate about it. So that's pretty much me, you know, a few sentences rather. So you served over 20 years active mm-hmm. duty in the U.S. Army. So go on, let's go back to just before that first year. What compelled you to join the U.S. Army? So I was just came to the U.S. not too much, and I was watching with my parents and my family were in New York, uh, Manhattan, New York. So one, one afternoon, we were watching the Mets and the Yankee game. I uh, don't know what the baseball game looks like. I just know some folks were just throwing ball and somebody, some people were eating the ball. And then the army ad came on, be all you can be. I was like, wow, that's quite interesting. So I went to the Met, the recruiting station in 125th on Allen. And then it's okay, what, what do you guys have to offer? They said, you can be all you can be. You can go to college and also be a soldier. I was like, you know what? I like that. I like that idea. And being from African origin in view, you know, 
most our Nigerian parents, first thing first, you have to go to college. It's, it's not negotiable. So, uh, so I was okay, I can do both. I can join the army and I can still be. So my parents actually signed off on it. Uh, they'll be quite progressive in their views. They're okay, sure, you can do it. Because that at that particular point in time, most African parents are not really leaning to join, letting their you know, kids join the, the military then. So, but before I came to my parents, for that, I already told them the solution because I know what they're going to ask for. Are you going to finish your college? So there we go. I mean, we'll pay for it and I'll join the army. So that was the reason why they allowed me to, which I really do appreciate them for that. And that's it. That's all she wrote. I joined, I signed on the dotted line, raised on my right hand and, uh, you know, solemnly swear, just like every one of us. And uh, that's, and then the rest is history. Well, you know, what's funny as you shared that be all you can be commercial, the U.S. Army, you talk about forward looking marketing thought leadership. The U.S. Army has had, had, had several hits. Back oh, yeah. in the 80s, I don't know if you remember, or maybe early 90s, the Army had a campaign that basically it was built around this message that the U.S. Army gets more done by 9 a.m. than most people gets done all day long. Yes. Yes. Now, <laughs> they, yes. they may have stolen that from the world of the supply chain. I don't know, but but we are known, uh, all military branches, for early risers and, and be, oh, yeah. having very productive early mornings, right? Absolutely. All right. So let's talk about your military career in particular. So what, what was your, obviously you were in the U.S. Army. What was your role or, or in the Army, I think they call it MOS, right? Yes, MOS, Military Occupational Specialty. So when I came in, I did a test. Actually, I didn't even know what I was getting into. So I did a test that said um, Automated Logistical Specialist, which was 92 Alpha. So right off the bat, I came in as an Automated Logistical Specialist, warehouse, parts, ordering, uh, maintenance, supply clerk. I came in there driving forklift. So you can equate what I was doing there to the what you find what you will find here in, in any warehouse, in any parts, in any ordering, just the entry level of supply chain in the so-called the civilian world. So I started my journey there. I learned everything about demand allowances. I learned everything about stocking, FIFO, LIFO. This whole thing that you found in the in the civilian world is all well and green in the army. So the same thing about uh, all the every all these nuances that I know about supply chain, I learned it from there. You know, forklift operation, cubing. I mean, cube out, uh, weight out. You know, you know, you know, tying up the ratchet on different, uh, you know, transportation. All this convoy, you know, load. Name it all. Everything that we talk about today in supply chain, I learned my first four years. Of being an automated logistical specialist. Now, you know, I move up the rank a bit from a private to a specialist and therefore a specialist to a sergeant. And then became a sergeant, had a wider view, I became a warehouse NCUIC, you know, story session, turning session, you know, receiving session, you know, how to do, you know, location inventory. Oof, talk about military inventories, you know, how to create locations and all those kind of stuff. So it was quite interesting. And then you know, of course, they move us around a little bit. I left. I was in Fort Bragg, North Carolina then. We call it the okay. center of the universe, you know, the overall special operations. So after I left over there, the cool part about my job when I was doing there is that when I, I finished the basic training, I went to advanced individual training. After I finished there, I went to airborne school. I became a paratrooper. So not only was I doing my doing my automated law school job, I was also jumping out of planes. That was so oh, much experience. Out of blast. <laughs> well, you know, that is quite a combination of skills. It's hard enough to be a supply chain practitioner and leader and yeah. then to add paratrooping. Oh, yeah. That's quite a combination. So what you learned a ton in the in the first four years. I'm sure that was probably like you know, feeding from the fire hose. Did you have any inclination or or maybe at what point in your twenty year career in the army did it hit you that this is hey, even when you get out? I love the supply chain stuff. I'm gonna keep doing. What did you ever have that eureka moment? Absolutely, it was my fourth year. I became a not my third year. I became a sergeant, and then I went to Army Education Center. We're talking about something you're gonna do because then my four years, my initial negotiation with my parents of you know get your money for education and get out came into play. Okay, what are you gonna do when you get out? You're gonna go to the university. You're gonna finish your education. So I went to Education Center. I was like, what can I do with my MOS? Then the word logistics supply chain came to, that was the first time I really actually have, a, you know, saw it on paper. I was like, wow, what is this? So I took different pamphlets. It was the, it was the CSMP. It was the, you know, Council of Supply Chain Management. I think they, yep. that was, uh, that was the organization there that printed that thing out. 
how you can transition from the military to the civilian. So I started reading, I said, wow, so I have so much of this. Look at what these folks are doing. I've already done it, you know, been there, done that. I have those T-shirts, you know. So, so that was that was the plan. And then uh, I was supposed to get out and go to University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill, and finish yeah. my, you know, continue my education over there. And then, then I heard a voice like, you know what? Let's see what the army has for you. So I went in there. Oh, you do you want to continue your paratrooping job and uh, go to Okinawa, Japan? I said, why not? Why not? It's a very Hardly will you find people get going to Japan. Why not? So I signed on the dotted line. I re-enlisted against my family, which I explained to them that this is really what I wanted to do. And they blessed off on it. So I went to Okinawa, Japan, and you know, and I got exposed to more of supply chain stuff when you talk about, you know, forwardly deploying the Pacific Rim, very strategic in nature. I was like, wow, this is so much to this thing. I thought that I've I've seen it all, I've done it all. <laughs> so much to this, you know. And uh, I had a blast. I had a blast. Since then, then I, right there, I was E6. I was a uh, staff sergeant. Then I realized that I can do this for a career. I really can do this. I really enjoy this. So you've got a unique combination of experiences. We already talked about the skill sets, which are pretty unique. But then you think about your your international experience with, you know, with roots in Nigeria, coming to the States, and then the Army, and then seeing the, uh, you know, going to Japan, and with boots on ground, no pun intended, and, and getting a, an appreciation for the Pacific Rim economy and, and logistics and supply, and supply chain space. No wonder, no wonder you're helping organizations with supply chain globally. I mean, I mean, you've got a, a pretty unique uh, background. So what, what year was that, that that the Army sent you? That was in 2002. 2002, I just finished my, I went in there, and that was, uh, that was right after September 11. Mm. That was when these because September 11 met me at uh, Fort Bragg, North Carolina, and after that, the, then there is a, uh, an ally of Osama bin Laden in Philippines. So the unit I was there in Okinawa, Japan, were fully deployed in Philippines, looking at all the cells of Osama over cells. But so we were pretty much involved. Right. And everywhere you go around that time, somebody around the, you are fighting some kind of war. So, and that wasn't, you know, folks over there in Okinawa, Japan, actually in Japan, weren't uh, excluded as well. So we were so fully deployed in the Philippines uh, island and over there working to get all those uh, extremists out of there. And, but, and then tsunami happened. They got involved in all this strategic stuff, you know, loading pallets for humanitarian supply chain. I got exposed to humanitarian supply chain. And also, you know, the, the Pacific Rim has so much typhoons and all the stuff that happened in the LBA. So we're so involved in that. And for me, it got me so much exposure to what goes on, preparation for, you know, for all these kind of, you know, events that happen globally, coordination, all kind of stuff. I was like, wow, this is, this is so much, you know? And then right there, I made the decision that, you know what, I'm going to make this a lifetime thing. So if I'm going to make it a lifetime thing, I need to cross over to the officer side. So I became, I went to officer candidate school and got commissioned as a lieutenant. And then for Benny Georgia, I came back. And guess what? When they selected me for job, it's like, you know what? You need to be a logistician. So get me right back to where I started from. But this time around, you know, I got so much in a very, you know, from the officer side, planning, leading. I mean, it was just wow. I was just wow from the beginning. Like, there's so much to this. Because right now, I'm no more doing for, you know, those warehousing. I'm now into transportation. I'm now into maintenance, food every aspect of what we call military or army logistics, I was involved in it from the, at the tactical level and organizational level. All right. So you shared a lot there. I want to follow up on. Um, so for starters, kind of off topic a bit, spending time in Japan and a little bit of time in the Philippines, if I heard you correctly. Let's talk about the international cuisine. I've never been to Japan. My wife and I are, are not necessarily foodies, but we love we love whenever we can get out with our three kids, really enjoying different cuisines. Is there one thing during your time in Japan that you can't quite get the same here in the States? It's the sushi. I I mean, when I was in Okinawa Island, uh, you know, you can see the people growing seaweed. You know, the seaweed that we found, part of the sushi thing, but they actually grow it there, mm-hmm. you know, and then you go over that, like, this is just, it's never like that. I, I don't think I've tasted, maybe I'm, because maybe I haven't traveled that far enough or eat that out eat out that much in the US, but nothing like the Japanese sushi, man. Uh it's nothing like you know and the bento, the bento, the rice balls, mm-hmm. I've never seen it anywhere else in the world in my travels. 
you know, I, and I love it. I mean, I really enjoy my three years I spent in Okinawa Island. I really do. I mean, if I have my chance, I will go back there. It's a, one of the best kept, you know, secret in the world. It's an island. That's what I've heard a lot. Um, I served with some folks that also uh, either came from Japan in a previous tour or were sent there afterwards. And and all of them, I don't think I've heard any bad feedback on any assignment there from folks I've known that have been there. So this doesn't surprise me. Let's talk about when you went to officer training school and got a commission and had some different duties at that point in time. What was the, what was the one, there's probably several, but what was the biggest change in terms of of how you managed, how you how you led, or or maybe the the biggest difference in responsibility. What what would that be? So you know, in in the in the military realm, there's a non commissioned officer, and then there is a commissioned officer. I was a non commissioned officer before. Now I became becoming a non commissioned a commissioned officer. There is a there's a clear difference in their job and description in the job description and what you have to do. For me, it was quite hard. Was like, okay, I'm doing this, I'm doing that, you know. What's the difference? But well, there is a quite difference. It took me a while to be able to understand, okay, I'm no more this, I'm now this, and these are what I need to be doing instead of getting to the weeds. You know, before, as a non-commissioner officer, you get into the weeds. Where are you? You know, all those kind of stuff. Why is it not done? But now, instead of me planning and making sure the resources are available for the execution of different tasks, you know, I'm still finding myself into the weeds. You know, it's like, what, you know, I can't move further in my tasks because I keep getting to the weeds, you know? So, <laughs> Uh, after a while, I was like, you know, I cannot, I'm, I, can, I will burn myself out if I continue to get into the weeds. Then I began, and I began rather to start delegating. You know, when you start delegating authority, not responsibility, it's a clear difference. Mm. So I learned that. And then you can actually provide resources, delegate, and then everything is nesting into each other. You know, it took me a while. Me, the first two years or so was a little bit rough because I keep finding myself in the weeds. After that, and then it was it was clear. Well, you know, it was clear from there on out. Yeah, that's a really tough. I'm still learning personally, very frankly, how to delegate. It's very, it's a very tough lesson to learn. It's, it's like a lesson in trust. It's a lesson in communication. It's a lesson in you know, you know slowing down so that you can speed up. Yes. Uh, it, it's just there's so there's so much to it. What any any additional thoughts, sir? Yeah. So. It's, it's a life journey. This issue of leadership in supply chain and whatever is always a life journey. What I've learned in the last 20 years is the fact that, you know, your environment plays a factor in there, you know, how to delegate communication. You can't have enough of communication. People always talk about, I mean, you think you're over communicating, then you realize that you're not even, you're not even scratch the surface at right. all. You know, so it depends. There's so much nuances to it. And, but the beauty, the most beautiful part of it all is, you know, you can learn from it. You can grow from it. It's never, it's no, it's, there's no end to it. And that's what, for me, that is the most, most pretty part of it all. That there's no end to it. You think you can figure it out, then you realize that you haven't figured nothing out. You know, so it's always evolving. It's always evolving, especially once you move from one rank to the other and your responsibility and your scope widens. And then you realize that there's level of communication has to be delegated. Who is checking on who? Who is being accountable to what? And that in itself, it's, it's a very robust uh, cluster. I can call it a, you know, kind of organized cluster in, in a right. way, you know. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So before we move forward into your transition and ultimately what you do now, let, let's, when you think back to your 20 plus years in the U.S. Army, and you think about some of the, the great people you worked either beside or maybe folks that worked for you or, or folks you may have worked for, what are some names that come to mind? The one of my company commanders, uh, John Otek, is a lieutenant colonel now. I have him on one of my shows next year. He's going to come on. I learned so much from him about organization management, how you manage organization, how you develop people within your organization. You know how you write, how you communicate. Is uh, you know speaking is one thing, writing and communicating thing clearly with no ambiguity is another thing. And most people is a, some of these things are lost skills these days. You know how you communicate clearly with no, like, you know, everybody will read it and everyone will understand. So John Otek is, is a great one. And also, Lieutenant Colonel Diggs, uh, we met in Afghanistan. And he, he trained me in such a way that he not only mentored me when I was a lieutenant or captain, but he became like a father figure, so to say. You know, kind of like this, apart from my professional life, he also went into my personal life as well. Just got married, how to... Cause all these things, oftentimes there is nobody to teach you, you know, you need that kind of mentor to work with you along that path, especially if you're highly deployed like we were, 
for years we were outside, you know, outside with family being at home, we had pretty much uh, at the forward, they just, you know, working and you have to continuously maintain the home front. So those folks, you know, were able to kind of uh, mentor me and so many, I mean, I have so many of them. There's always, and then I have, uh, I have a boss uh, in when I was in Okinawa, uh, Todd Schlitz, phenomenal man, phenomenal man. When I first just married, it was telling me, it's like, because my wife and I, my wife came from Nigeria as well. I was already in the state. We went to high school because I spent my high school in Nigeria. So for, for a while, we we're doing a long distance relationship. So when we got married, it was like, wow. Uh, he, he kept telling me, bye, it's going to be a rough road ahead. Mm. I was like, what is he talking about? You know, it's simple. I was like, okay. And then when the wife came, you know, just adjustment, getting to know each other, I was like, wow, this is rough. And he knew it, he sensed it ahead of time gave me time to kind of, you know, pivot, you know, kind of pivot my way. And one of the most shocking things he did as, for me as a leader, you know, oftentimes you say a lot of things about being the leader, being, you know, leadership and whatnot, but acting it out is one of the most profound ways to actually lead. When my kids were born in Japan, you know, I was there with no family and all, you know, he came and spent the whole night as I was with my wife in the delivery room and all, he was there throughout. And that is an hallmark of leadership. I'll never forget those acts of kindness will never leave you alone. You know, mm. it was there, he came home with his wife, they brought gifts and they were able to cradle the baby and give time for us to adjust this new thing. Those things are never, you know, those things are, there's no way you can write, you know, especially it's just my boss at work, but it took time. It went beyond his scope of duties to actually take care of it. So then for, I'm forever indebted for those kind of love because now he has set the bar so high. Whoever worked for me, whoever I work for, I mean, I expect that level of leadership and that level of care for people that, you know, that we work together. Well said. I, I think it was either Aaron Freed or Patrick Nelson that came on and spoke with us a few weeks back. And one of them said that those simple acts of kindness mm-hmm. can have some of the biggest impact. Absolutely. And that's, you know, some of what I heard you say there is that's the, it's the, it's the simple things that really adds so much to this life and 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 you know checking in here or or, or picking up something here it, it adds up and it really it helps us especially in this very challenging times especially in the military where uh deployments and and separation of families and and life goes on for families it's just the the job has you in a different part of the world and and it's exactly. it's amazing what about um you named some of the folks that had an impact on you during while you were serving. I heard you say Afghanistan. So you spent time deployed in That's Afghanistan been, as well? About four years there. Four years in Afghanistan. So what when you look back on your career, and, and I believe you told me pre-show that you've got twins, two children, that'll be 16 soon. So what when you look back at your all the stuff you got accomplished in the Army, what what's one or, or two things that you're going to be telling your kids about forever their kids about what really do you find a lot of great pride in, in terms of, of accomplishments i mean I've, I've accomplished a lot uh in my career i was able to do a lot in the short time and the army didn't make it easy as well they expect a lot out of you especially if you're leading the american most precious resources which are the men and women in uniform they expect you to be on your best you know on your best i, I think my most accomplished is the fact that i still have my family when I got out of the military. You don't know how precious that is. It is one of the most precious, and I can't take credit for it. I think my wife did a lot of job keeping the family together and able to be there for my kids because for the most part, I mean, I was absent for the most part. You know, that is one of the, I think for me is the most, uh, it has to be the most accomplished thing I've ever done is able to, at least at the end of it all, when it's all said and done, when the boost when, they, when I hang my boot and the dog tags lay down, you know, I still have my family there. You know, not too many people uh, can boast of that. And it's not by their own doing, actually. It's just the right. fact that the nature and the surrounding and the environment doesn't align. But for me, I can say I'm quite blessed to be able to have that. And for me, I mean, above everything else I've done, that is number one. That's number one for me. Wow. Very powerful sentiment you just shared there. Do you think that either one of your children will into the military? I don't know. You know, I let them explore their life. One of them thought about it. I was like, what if, what if I join the military? Will you support it? I said, absolutely, absolutely. The military has changed. I've been there, but hey, you know, it changed with the era as well. But I think the military is in a, in a better place now. We've evolved in the last 10 years. 
things have changed. Mm-hmm. I think you know the military is always ahead of social politics, and they are where they are pretty much ahead of everything else that is going on in the world today. So I will definitely support it. It would be it would be a badge of honor actually to to have one of them actually serve. So before we talk transition, I'd love if I can put you on the spot a bit. I, I love what you just shared there because that that's one of the things I miss about being active duty. And, and, and I had the great honor this week to reconnect with a couple of the folks I served with. And awesome. First time I'd seen one in in almost twenty years. Wow! And uh, we exchanged stories and talked about the great family away from family we that we we had there in Wichita. And you miss that because there's a to your point about being well, well ahead of the private sector social politics, I think is as you put it. Mm-hmm. It's very real and it's very palpable. And, and and you've got this in the military, you've got this such a strong sense of purpose to a common mission. It cuts through a lot of stuff and it allows you, and from at least my experience, to see past some of the dividers that we have on the other side. If you would elaborate a little bit more on that and, and why do you think that is? I think, you know, you have to have a unity of command or what they call mission command. You have to have one sound. Everybody has to match with the sound. And you cannot have that kind of unity of command if everything is divided, everyone is going different ways and whatnot. You know, regardless of, you know, religion, race, creed, wherever you come from, we're all together in this. And I think that's why for a lot of us, actually for me, when I got out, I, I, I retired uh, this time uh, two years ago, and you know, and I thought I I was aware of what goes on in America, but absolutely I was wrong because mm. I started like, wow, how I kind of why didn't I know about all these that's going on in America? But because the military kind of shelter us from for some strange reason out of what else is going on in America, because you it's a different community in itself, it's a different environment, so. And you miss it. You miss the realize, realize that half of what is going on in the, in the military, I mean, the world today is kind of absent. And there's a reason why you need to remove all those nuances out for you to be able to fight because our constitutional duty is to fight and win the nation's war. Mm-hmm. So you cannot do that if you're, you know, like deeply, deeply divided. The military has their own issues. They still deal with It's an ongoing. Every time you have people from multiple race and multiple Background, you're gonna have some issues, but they have ways of dealing with it. They have ways of correcting it because they're not perfect. But they never said they were perfect. But at least they have ways. They're always progressive in ways to address that, and that in itself is very is very very laudable, you know. So for me, I miss that a lot. I miss that a lot, you know. That you know, when brothers and when brothers in arms are locking hand wherever you are, and that's what will bind us together, you know. And uh, and I, I think there is a lesson we can learn from our military as Americans and what has won nations wars for so many years, you know, the same can be transferred to American public at large, you know, able to see beyond all that, able to find a common good that kind of binds us together. And I think if America really wants to really move forward and heal, we can learn from our military because they've done it uh, time and time again. Adebayo, that what you just shared there in the last four or five minutes really reminds me exactly why we do this. I mean, that's inspiring. It's spot on, and I, I agree with you. I hope that I hope that the country can find a way to find an element of community that that you can find to a large degree in the in the military. So we'll see from our from your lips to God's ears. So we'll see. Oh yes. Moving forward. All right. So one of the things I want to pick your brain about is transition. So if I heard you correctly, you retired about two years ago. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Yes. Okay. You know, as a commissioned officer, what, what I've learned through having hundreds of these conversations going back to uh, when I got out in 02, I found that enlisted transitions can be a lot different than the commissioned officer transitions. And that Absolutely. may or may not, I mean, it's probably a big generality, but talk, speak to me if you would about your transition. How Was it more challenging than you had expected or about what you expected? How, how, how'd that play out? I think it's about your expectation. Transitioning, for me, I did it abruptly because I made that decision like a year out, like it's time for me to go. I think at some point uh, years ago, I said, if I cannot leave my soldiers physically, emotionally, psychologically, mentally, any of the leads, you know, I will, you know, I hold it to them. I hold it to them to to kind of, you know, say, you know, goodbye. You know, like I said, like I said earlier, somebody's going to part ways. Is that the military or you at some point? You know, so I'd rather be on my own terms. So for me, but I've already equipped myself along the way. The journey is, 
It's a very long journey. The, and the, the good part about the army is the fact that they send you to school, they expose you differently. So for me, I've had different exposures. I've worked in different corridors of power from congressional side to the executive side. You have those kind of exposure. You know what is obtainable out there. You know your worth. You know, and, and that's one thing that most uh, thing is that we don't, as veterans, we kind of should change ourselves in our ability and what we, we bring to the table. The value proposition is always skewed on the other for us because we, we don't seem to be able to articulate, for the most part, what we're capable of doing. If most Americans or anyone globally knows what we go through on a daily basis, the kind of responsibility uh, that we go to on a daily basis and the kind of exposure, people you brief, and the level of you know the level of uh, intellect that goes to what you do on a day-to-day basis, the amount of men you lead in combat, you know, amount of responsible things that you have to do, they will have a different uh, view of you actually because you, you cannot today be briefing the ambassador, to the other one briefing another country's president, you know, and then you come back, somebody's like, oh, you're gonna start at entry level. I was like, do you even know who who this guy is, you know, or what he has accomplished over the course of time. So for me, I was aware of it. And I think that I've never lost that value of who I am as a person and what kind of value I bring to the table. Unless I personally degrade myself and my value, I will not let no man degrade my value as a veteran. Because to me, you have to understand 20 years of exposure, working, half of what we do, you know, you just realize that you go to all these briefings at the very, and at the sea level in, in the civilian world, you realize that my lieutenant can do this. You know, you were like, wow, this is, you know, because the army, for for some of us, I mean, just the way of, you know, leaders, they kind of throw us in the deep end, sink or swim, you know, right. and they'll be there, they'll they 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 be there to lend me a life jacket, you know. So for me, I already knew ahead of time what I really wanted to do and how if this doesn't pan out, it have different causes of action, you know. And I want to try different things and I want to be able to consult and bring things to the table. And for what I've seen around the world, I enjoy geopolitics. And I realized that, okay, supply chain, the geopolitical risk, nobody really talks about it that much. Why not? Everything right. I, I've done in, in supply chain hinged on that, you know, especially when, you, when you're deployed or you're traveling across the across the Atlantic or different part of the world in the Pacific, everything you do, how you move your goods and services, how you get your training on the different ports, it's all depending on the kind of deals you make politically, you know? Right. So I wonder why we're not talking much about this. So I'm like, you know what, I'm going to start working in this side. And because there's so much, I mean, you interview professionals in the supply chain now across the board, you will realize that there's always a niche sustainability, circularity, inventory, you know, right. digital transformation. There's so much to it. It's like, okay, you know what? I'm going to make this one. Risk management and geopolitics because I realized that, you know, it could be better. It could be better and I have a different flavor for it. From my exposure, I have a different way of looking at it. And I was like, you know what? I will just stick to my guns and I'll work it. So I made that decision. And, and for officers, because of our exposure, we and the way we're kind of brought up in the military, we have those kind of mentoring along the way. When the time comes, this is what you're going to do. And I know the same is not for the uh, the non-commissioned side or the enlisted side because uh, oftentimes they look at you with your rank. Strangely, I don't know what that happened, but and I think a lot has to be done on realizing that because if I'm doing something, there's an enlisted soldier with me doing it with me. So they should get equal amount of exposure like I did as well. They should have the same value proposition like I did. So, and I think that one is getting down to the ranks. Like, look, you are valuable than what is out there or what they think you are, uh, where they think you are. So for me, it wasn't, it wasn't that difficult because I already know exactly what I wanted to do and I pursue my passion. That's a great word to finish on because I, t- I tell you, you can't sit down. I know we're not in person. I'd, l- I'd love to do that eventually one day and, and break bread with you. But you bring Absolutely. so much passion to the table. And I, I bet you had some folks ready to run through walls for you when, when you were in the military, maybe even now. We'll, we'll try. We'll, try. <laughs> well, it, it, it's, it's palpable with you uh, out of bio. I want to ask you about, so one of the clear-cut best practices that you, you touched on several times right there was knowing what you want to do, knowing what you want to do, really getting specific and getting focused. And, and that's one of the best practices we hear from a lot of veterans as they talk about and they share you know, with others, how to successfully transition. So beyond that, if, if you were speaking to 
whether it's you know folks getting ready to hit terminal leave a few months before they retire or separate, or folks that may already be in the throes of their transition, especially the you know especially the folks that may be uh, having a more challenging time. What what else would you suggest to them as a best practice? So if if they, for, I mean they've already transitioned and then it's too late. But if you have the back of your mind like in the next three years I'm going to be transitioning, then there's a map out a plan. Map out a plan. This is what I want to be earning. This is how I want to be working. I don't. I mean you know I was offered a job, you know in DFW area maintaining warehouses and assist different locations. The 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 I mean the compensation was off. But living in DFW area, I don't really map out it. I was like six different little warehouses and I have to be there lately and I look at the traffic, amount of traffic, I have to bounce like, no way. There's no way you're going to pay me, you know, in hell and in heaven to do this job because it's just, it's just, by the time I, I'll be so beat down, you know, I haven't worked for 20 years, you know, deployed and whatnot. I want to spend some quality time with the family, you know. So you really don't want to take a job that is going to take you out from front. So it all depends on what you really want to do after you. Some people really want to go after it again. That's fine. If that's what you want, then go after those hard jobs. Transition, leave your domain, go. And some people do it, you know, travel from sure. where they are. And But if you really want to spend some quality time, some people are willing to, you know, cut back. You know, I have enough funds I've saved, you know, I have some retirement plans. I can take lesser job to kind of be with the family. And maybe after five years when your kids are out, you become an empty nester, you can actually go further, you and your wife can. So it all depends on how you want to do. So most people do not know what they want. And I think that's the, that's the bottom line, how they want to live their life after they leave the military. Because oftentimes, like, for example, my wife supported me throughout my career. For, for the lack of better words, she put her own career on hold to raise the mm. kids. When I was gone half of the time. There has to be a stable parent at home. Uh, actually, more than half of the time. You know, she has to be a stable parent at home to help with the kids and everything because they need at least one, both parents can't be gone at the same time. And there was the essence of parenting. So she made that, she made that decision and conscious effort to support the parents. So when I'm back now doing, you know, all of everything I've done, it, it too, you know, it makes sense for me to support a career as well, which I am doing. So I'm like the stable parent at home now and she's doing whatever she wants to do because she has really, she has gone above and beyond to support myself and the family through to my own moving movement around. So knowing fully that I only can do something within my domain. Uh, if I travel, fly, come back, you know, nothing much than, you know, I don't really want to do anything more than that. So, or consult from far places. I do travel. I really do travel a lot, but it's just two, three days a week max or two weeks max come back, not for extended period of time because of, you know, my, my own, I call it my own situation, you know, so to say. But everybody has to, it's a decision point. You have to make a decision. This is what I want to do when I get out. And oftentimes people just want to, you know, they just want to go. They want right. to get out of the military so bad that they haven't made that decision of what they want to do when they get out. And that's where most people run into issues. Excellent point. You know, I think I'd add, I would add, and hopefully you agree, you know, for someone that's gotten out and retired just a couple of years ago, your presence on social media and, and on LinkedIn in particular is really impressive. And clearly you invested in that, right? And that, that can be such a, a wonderful vehicle to, especially if you know what you want to do, to get your thought leadership out, to, to create and take advantage of serendipity and create your own, you know, create your own luck, so to speak. And that, of course, when I got out in 02, social media wasn't it wasn't quite what it is now. But I think there's a lot of veterans that when I got out, I had no professional network, right? And and that was a big hindrance for sure. And these days, the way that you can build digital relationships, which some may laugh at, but you, you really can, even in this pandemic environment. And for veterans that are transitioning to invest just an hour a day or 30 minutes a day and just really focus a discipline around it, that will help during your transition, right? Yes, absolutely. And I'll tell you this. I joined LinkedIn, Twitter, and all those things before I left the military and Instagram. But due to missions, if I take picture, I was deployed to Jordan uh, before I left. Before I, I mean, we can't post pictures until we, we've left the area. Right. So imagine I've taken all these pictures. Then I left a year later. Then I started posting it. You know, so on LinkedIn, uh, I have LinkedIn and I have my profile. Oftentimes, you know, people, like I said, veterans, they don't, they have a time transitioning or interpreting what they're doing to something that is consumable for the civilian, you know, for the civilian populace. So 
But for the LinkedIn part, to be able to get out there, you know, it took me a lot because of the nature, you know, if you've been in the military a lot, there's this sense of humility. There's this sense of, you know, we just I just want to do my part, you know, and then get out of the way. So coming out and doing this, being upfront on social media, explaining and expressing yourself on different issues on different points of view, it's very, very difficult. So I have to come out of shell more than enough, but then took me a while to get comfortable with it. And, and to be honest with you, a lot of veterans are actually facing that as well, because in, in our nature, the way the army culture is really from the army, and, and I think it says for the rest of the services as well, we just don't operate like that. You know, you, when I got out, I have no, I have no digital footprint beside this thing. I've, I didn't publish any articles on there. Uh, it's just the fact of the matter is actually stay less on social media, stay less right. on the internet. Actually, if you forward it, deploy, you use your name, people know your name, they can find you, you know, all those kind of, uh, we call it infosec, you know, inf information security. So kind of on that side. So coming out now and just, okay, I'm st I've been staying out of these, they call it the, the white pages, you know, they use the, the internet to kind of search you. For right. you. Now that you are out, okay, I'm now going back to where I'm supposed not to have been all this while. So it's kind of different. So it took me a while. It took me months to like, ah, do I really want to do this? Even I still have some issues coming online, doing videos. And I think that's my next challenge, doing more videos online and be able to realize because you pass your message across with passion. People can read it. There's a lot of non-verbal cues that you give during video interviews that most people can't see you know, behind the voice. So I think that's one aspect of it. I've done a few videos, but I'm, next year, you're going to be seeing a lot of videos from me because that's the challenge I really want to. Because and I realized that, you know what? People are actually watching. People are actually listening. But you just have to, you know, and, and the greatest part of it all, and I, I don't know if any, uh, for any, uh, for any uh, veterans listening to me, is that we are our greatest obstacle. We judge ourselves so much. And remember for me, last year was like, what will people think of me? You know, I've done this, I've done that. If I say this, what will my, my guys think of me? There was a time I went on Instagram and I did a video and laughed. I got some calls from my fellow veterans, like, are you okay, Bio? I've never seen you online before now, you know, but I'm not saying it was bad. I just like this different. Well, yeah, you know, I just, I just try something different. Right. I think we need to come out of our shell because the, the, the world we live in is, is no more. We are now in the new world and this is obtainable, especially if you want to pipe, if you want to pass your, your point across, these are the medium and the channels you have to use and you have to be comfortable with it. So for me, it's not like, I'm born for TV or I'm born for TV. It's just the fact that I don't know. I, I was trained for certain things. I was trained this way for 20 years. So now I'm coming out like, you know what? Let me try something different. Uh, hey, I, I think you've got a, a uh, an exceptional message that more folks more folks need to hear, veterans and otherwise. So I look forward to seeing a lot more video uh, from you. I really do. And make sure you send it my way. I will, um, I will tag you on it, Scott. <laughs> please do. I want to touch on something you shared going back to being comfortable with yourself. You know, some of the advice you're, you're talking there, you know, you're going to fail. Everybody's going to fail unless you play it so safe that you don't give yourself a chance to get out of your comfort zone and succeed at something that perhaps you didn't know you could do. Absolutely. So that's excellent. I've got about 22 pages of notes from what you've been sharing uh, at a bio. So thanks so much. Let's talk wow. about something else you're passionate about is supply chain. So I want to find, so before we talk about what makes you so passionate, I think, I think we've already gotten a lot of answers around what drives your passion in supply chain, but tell me, what are you doing now? Now that you re, you retired from the army, I think you're doing some consulting. You're a professor, I believe at, at a local university. Tell me about what you're doing now. Yeah. So currently now I, I speak, I, I coach and I mentor on leadership and supply chain management. And uh, I really do I like that space because, you know, for a military man, having 20 years, leadership is what you pretty much do. It's like a second nature to you. So you cannot but be a leader. You cannot but help kind of posture that leadership traits out to yourself and to other people around you. So I really enjoy mentoring and seeing young leaders different because our our environment growing up as a as a when I was growing up as a young leader is completely different from this current environment. There's so many nuances around there. And there's no right or wrong answer to this. 
uh, time will tell what is right or what is wrong these days, actually. So I'm really, I, I love that space. And most importantly, the supply chain. You know, I've tried different countries. I've traveled to about 20 different countries during my, during my service years. And uh, what is obtainable in one is different from the other, you know? And uh, especially I spend most of my time in Austria part of the world, whereby everything you know about supply chain that you've learned in school, you must well just jettison at the door, like, nope. Just put it there because none of them will work. You know, so oftentimes, you know, I question. And the thing is, when I first got out, is the fact that I always question what I know to be true. And one of my friends cautioned, like, bio, don't think questioning is a bad thing. See it as a, as a growth. Like, this is what I'm saying. This is what I know. There's a conflict. It's not aligning. You know, how, what do I mix? What, what kind of sense can I make out of this? And that is what I find myself doing a lot of times. So when you look at supply chain models and frameworks and look at what is good, what is obtainable on the ground, like, who doesn't match up, you know? So after the time, you know, I question where some of these models come, came from in the first place. I question which one actually works. And it's not because I don't believe in them. It's just the fact that my current situation, at, which I'm looking at, just doesn't align. You know, so I love that kind of space. You know, it keeps me thinking, do we actually do more? So for me, I believe there's so many ways to actually tackle supply chain. I believe in interdisciplinary method. You know, so oftentimes I was in a country, I was working there and, and it, you know, I was telling someone in Afghanistan, we move package through camels to move from one location to the other. People will never believe that, yeah, we got it. The last mile was through a camel by itself. Mm. You know, so oftentimes this is the thing you cannot find in any textbook, any curriculum or supply chain. So for me, I believe in there's so much knowledge. You know, I draw solutions from places you never, you least think about. You know, interdisciplinary way of handling supply chain, and that for me makes it so much fun. You know, like I look at sociological areas, anthropological areas. How do I find? How can I move? I think there was a country of Jordan, but trying to get uh, stuff across. Uh, from both uh, from one country to there are several countries around there, and we had to engage the 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 Bedouins on the road. And there's an anthropological and sociological uh, and sociological aspect of it, understanding what makes the Bedouins, what makes them different, and why you need their cons uh, their you know consensus, be able to move because they one way or the other provide some kind of traditional security to be able to move your goods and services. To the most people, they probably don't see them as big deal or much, but for me, it is necessary and actually, actually worked out. So there's so much to it that, you know, there is no particular way to answer some of these supply chain issues. And that for me is what really makes, makes it fun and what drives me crazy every day about supply chain because it's just that there's so many ways you can answer so, do so much problem. For example, a friend of mine actually think like, have you ever actually look at finding solutions to supply chain problems by looking at nature? And lo and behold, I started looking at nature and looking at correlation between the problems that we have, you know, and looking at what nature's, what the nature says about hamstring them. And I realized that, wow, we can actually find a lot of solutions just observing the nature. You know, it's, it's very, very strange things happening. I love it. I just love it that there's a traditional way of doing things that is non-traditional way of actually make, just developing solutions. Because for me, as long as the solution works for that particular client and it drives value, I'm satisfied. You know, you're talking about how creative you've had to get and, and, and how supply chains had to get in for, for, I mean, really forever, including here recently as freight continues, freight continues to freight volume continues to grow. And, and I've seen a wide variety of statistics just here in the States of just a sheer amount of logistics capacity that's going to have to be added to, especially with, with all the different factors when you think of e-commerce and, and, and reverse logistics and everything else is taking up volume. But that brings us to a very timely topic of the vaccine distribution, right? And, um, you know, we've around here around these parts at a bio, we've been talking about and, and referring to it as the noble mission. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we got to, uh, I've gotten a little blowback from, from social media about that because as folks rightly and, and accurately point out, sure there's money being made with, with the distribution. Of course there is any transportation shipper. That's what they do. And they got charged you to move anything. However, as you point out, especially as we really provide access to that vaccine globally, there's going to be some problems. Undoubtedly, they get, get solved. They have to get solved to mm -hmm. hit this city or this village or this. And people aren't going to make a million dollars to do it. They're just going to find a way to complete that mission. And that's, in my mind, that's the beautiful 
common thread between the military and the global supply chain community. And that, that really is what makes me passionate about it. I don't know if that, what, what is that? Uh, any thoughts there? You know, it's a double-edged sword and I'll tell you the reason why. And I'll share my experience briefly with you on this. Of course, people are making money off it. And that is a, that is a root cause of capitalism. People mm-hmm. have to make money off it. If not, I mean, all these guys that found the, the vaccine solution should have shared it and make it, you know, they shouldn't have patented it. They should have shared it with the world and everyone could have, you know, get, came out with some generics and the whole world would be vaccinated at the same time. So, of course, that's not what's happening. Everyone is trying to profit out of it, and right. which is understandably so, that people have to get their money back, what they invested in it. But from your perspective of the noble, it's, it's a noble cause because you're saving lives. And when you tie life to any aspect of supply chain, it changes the dynamics of things. It changes the dynamics of things. If we always look at life aspect of supply chain, I think the way we approach supply chain is going to differ. It's going to be different, uh, rather, because we look at it as life and death issues. That's why humanitarian supply chain is different from normal supply chain, you know, because it changes the dynamics of things. It yep. it gives you, it, it touches your core. But as a as as a veteran, if I'm in charge of you know, distributing stuff. I think I might, let me put it this way. My number one priority is to get the vaccine, not the money. Yeah. And that might not be, that might not be what is obtainable in the, in the real world because people are like, what is the cost to this? It's all about cost. Right. But for me, because of my upbringing and my constitution, is the fact of the matter is about getting this vaccine to people that need to be vaccinated and then worry about money later. And of yeah. course, that's not obtainable in the real world. So, but, and, and that in itself, as, as I mentioned, is what a lot of veterans do, do encounter when they get out of the service, is that we cannot, we are so passionate about getting the mission done, getting the task done that we forgot about the cost that is associated with it and the value that's associated with it. So we sell ourselves short. We don't know how to close the deal. We, we have this transactional, kind of jittery that eh, don't worry whatever you feel like just pay me you know and oftentimes people will always take advantage of that and i think i'm still learning it as well as i go forward in my consulting world like yeah, you know what you're a small business i'll do but non- in essence the moment you start on that trajectory you'll never be able to make money it's like you're doing charity work you know but at the same time people need to understand that this is who you are i mean you've been framed to work this way you know you I mean, you one day you're over there performing, performing supply chain, the next day you're saving babies in the, some far part of the world. And then you come back here, those things, I mean, you've seen the extreme. Those things does, is little, what you're going through right now is little compared to what you've seen in the past. So oftentimes you don't really associate money to what you're doing, right? And people take advantage of it. Whereas people that went to school, you know, got into the real, you know, big, you know, corporate America and started working. They see things differently. And I've seen it oftentimes. It's not like because I do not want money to be associated with it, but I just don't see it because of my constitution, the way I was brought up in the military. It's not my number one priority. It's about getting the job done, money later. But for most folks, say, this is my value. This is the money is coming with it and make it happen before I can even move a step. I love that. So much of what you shared there. All right. So let's make sure that folks know how to connect with you because they're also going to be expecting all that video content in 2021, all that thought leader, that passionate thought leadership. You're like a, a manufacturing production facility of or supply chain passion. All right. So how can folks connect with you based on all your speaking, coaching, and mentoring you're doing? So I can reach out to on adebayadelike.com. I have a website over there where all my services I provide over there. Is on there. You can reach out to me, and of course, LinkedIn is my—I call it my base station. That's where we work. I did buy Adelike. I'm the only one on LinkedIn. I'm—I'm uh, I'm not the only one with that name on LinkedIn, but for supply chain, pretty much the only one on that. So reach out to me. We're gonna make it easy. We're gonna add all those links to okay. the show notes of how okay. to get in touch with yeah. Adebayo, and uh, we're gonna make it. You know, we're after the one-click listener experience here at Supply Chain Now, Adebayo. Awesome. I really appreciate that. And reach out to me. I always. I was engaged in supply chain conversation. There's so much to it. And, and that's what really makes this industry, you know, I really passionate about it because you never get bored and you never get bored. So. And if you get bored, uh, you better be looking over your shoulder or, or you better be worried. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Something is absolutely wrong. So you can, yeah, you can reach out to me and I'm on Twitter as well as, uh, as Timmy Bayer. I'm on, 
also on Instagram as the Nibio One. So yeah, reach out to me. Let's discuss. Let's talk. Supply chain, veteran stuff, my experience in the military, and my experience around the world. There's always a story. I always have plenty of stories to share as well. All the crazy stuff that has gone wrong and how we saw so many stuff. So I have on LinkedIn in January, I have debuting a show called Uncommon Solutions, where I bring somebody on my journey that will bring over there for about 10 minutes and tell them to be like, you know what? Tell me a problem that you solved in the past. Crazy problem and how you went about solving it. Something that is you can't find in a book or some supply chain or some supply chain model or framework. There's nothing about it. You just have to think on your feet and figure it out. And then you'll be surprised. So I'm bringing people from the military, people from the different part of the world, and I'm hoping to you know share some you know, some laughs and uh, and just people to look at it. And it's also to encourage the younger generation because I keep hearing this thing that supply chain is not a sexy uh, kind of work to do or whatnot. It's like it depends on who you're asking. You know, if you ask some folks, like, wow, you did that? Yeah. So I think is is also good for them to understand that oftentimes what you study and I, what you went to school to understand how to be able to think differently, not to be able to just not to follow whatever they taught you in school, but most be able to kind of ignite that uh, creatives within you. So I bring all this. It's about twelve episodes a year, so one per month. So John Tech is going to be the uh, going to be following. It talks about what he did in uh, in Europe. It's going to be awesome. So outstanding. We can't we can't miss it. I, I love that approach beyond the learnings. The, com- the communication, the rapport, the, the sense of community building, and to really enjoy each other's company, the, the, the fellowship and camaraderie place. So uh, I love that. And folks can connect with you about, about how to sign up and register and be a part of that, right? Absolutely. It's always online. I put it on LinkedIn and YouTube as well. Just click, watch it. Uh, it just shows different solutions, craziness that is going on around the world and how you can solve it by just you know, look at how people are solving their stuff, how they come up with different ideas to solve their problems. Because I don't know it all. You don't know it all. I mean, by by sharing other people's ideas, you can definitely know a lot. So I am, I'm really excited about that. I'm really excited about that. Awesome. So. Love that project. Well, we have really enjoyed this conversation. It's gone past really fast, but we'll have to have you back here on Veteran Voices. We've been talking with Adebayo Adelike. And really, I know we just scratched the surface after all of your time in the U.S. Army and, and all of your experiences in global supply chain. But want to wish you and your family uh, happy holidays, happy new year. And we're looking forward to all the big things coming out of the Adebayo factory in 2021. Thank you so much, Scott. It's a privilege to be here. And I really am overjoyed to share my experience with you. And more importantly, is the fact that you considered me worthy enough to be on your show. So. Uh, I don't take that for granted. Uh, of course, you are you're a top-notch podcaster, and uh, mm. the show is top out there. And I mean, people use your show as a reference. Very soon, you're gonna be seeing, oh, you know, part of your your show as a reference on a doctoral thesis. So, uh, <laughs> but I really do appreciate it. I'm, I, and like I said, I I I don't take this uh, for granted at all. Ability to share and be on platform to share my experience with people. You never know, you know, that you might be reaching or touching someone along the way. So thank you for giving me the opportunity uh, from the depth of my heart. Uh, I really do appreciate it. And also happy holidays to you and your family out there and to all your listeners out there as well. It's been a very crazy year for all of us or whatever part of the world you find yourself. Uh, these, these months that call COVID has reached and touched everyone in a very interesting, unique ways. But I believe if you're still here hearing my voice, you're still standing. So, and I think that in itself, we should be grateful about. Looking forward to a more prosperous and promising 2021, hopefully by mid-year, by next year, this whole COVID thing is gone. I'm with you. I'm with you there. Uh, we're going to break through. There's going to be good news. There, are, There is good news if you look for it. And we're yes. all going to break through together, together, the global community. So really appreciate your very kind words and we'll have you back soon. We, we can't, we can't help ourselves. I love a good passionate <laughs> guru when it comes to certainly, especially supply chain. So thanks so much out of bio to so our much. audience. Hopefully you've enjoyed this conversation as much as I have. I think I've got about 32 pages of notes. I can't wait to share with, with our team here, but certainly our audience. So, if you like conversations like this, of course, you can learn more and go to the Veteran Voices page, wherever you get your podcast from. Or, of course, you can check us out at supplychainnow.com. Hey, if you're a veteran and you've got a story to tell, it'd be tough to top one that you've heard here today. But if you've got a story or a challenge or a transition or your journey that you'd like to share, 
and reach out to us on social. We're on Twitter and Instagram and LinkedIn and reach out and we'll see if we can't fit you into our programming uh, in the new year. Hey, on beyond all of that, Scott Luton wishing all of our listeners nothing but the best. Hey, do good, give forward, be the change, be just like Adebayo. And on that, we'll see you next time here on Veteran Voices. Thanks, everybody.